I like that. Without patience, he turns into a bossy world. <laughs> of all the Beatitudes that we're looking at right now, I think I have more trouble with this one than any of them, and that is being patient. We tend to want it and want it right now. It's like the prayer, God, give me patience and give it to me right now. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5. The book of Matthew, chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. Last week, we were looking at the first of the two Beatitudes. Beatitudes called such because it means blessing. These are blessings that God brings on our lives if we live out these characteristics that the Lord Jesus outlines for us in these verses. The humbleness that Jesus commands in verses 3 and 4 will produce patience. Think about this. Humble people are patient people. Humble people are patient people. Humility will produce patience. And pride produces impatience. Pride produces impatience because I think I've got a right to it all and to all of it right now. Now, Jesus is going to say in the, verses we're, in the verse we're going to look at today, he's going to refer to those who are meek. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And the idea of meekness in the original language carries two ideas, almost like twins. Humility that he's already spoken to and patience. And humility and patience, again, go together, and this word carries the ideas of both of them sort of wrapped together in one. We need the patience that He provides. The first four of these Beatitudes are all about need, and they are the needs that we have from the Lord and needs that He will provide. And He's trying to teach us here that the focus is to be on God and to be on others and not to be on ourselves. So let's join Jesus as he's gone up on a mountain. He sits down. There's a crowd of folks that are around him. And he begins to teach from what we know as the mountain of the Beatitudes, a really large mountainous area adjacent to the Sea of Galilee. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, which was in those days the physical way of indicating, a teacher indicating that I'm going to begin to teach and you need to listen, his disciples came to him. And they would have come understanding it was time to listen, it was time to be taught. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, were the humble, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And we saw last week that if we live and we walk in humility, then he promises us that he will bless us with being in touch with what his kingdom is doing, what he is doing, and discerning his activity all around us. Verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn, For they will be comforted. And the idea of mourning there is mourning over my sin, mourning over the seriousness of my sin, and saying, Lord, forgive me and cleanse me. And the comfort there is the comfort of His forgiveness and restoration. Now, verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The earth. Now, a sermon outline is containing your bulletin, and I invite you, if you will, to follow along with me. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, let's review quickly what the idea of being blessed is, because Jesus begins each of these Beatitudes with blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. Now, what does he mean to be blessed? It is the idea that if we develop and live out the character traits that Jesus outlines in these Beatitudes, that the 
He looks on us. The Lord looks on us. He approves these character traits that are being developed, and His blessing is in terms of inner peace and satisfaction. He produces within us a basic inner peace and fulfillment in life. It is also the idea of knowing His approval, and God takes our weakness and replaces it with His strength. So God blesses by taking the weakness in our lives and replacing it with His strength. And in this particular case, He's going to talk about what it means to be patient. And as we replace our impatience with His patience, then we inherit the earth. And so each of these Beatitudes takes a weakness in our lives, replaces it with a strength from the Lord, and the result of that is a deep inner peace and satisfaction and fulfillment in life that God wants to produce within us. You see, when we live according to what He teaches here, it's going to result in us being having peace. It's going to result in a sense of wholeness in our lives. It's going to have a sense of satisfaction in our lives. Now, what does it mean to be meek? Let me give you several ideas that are bound up in this word of meekness. First of all, there is, again, the idea of humility. Meekness carries that idea of humility. It is also the idea of being gentle, particularly as we deal with people, not roughing folks up, not blowing people away, but be gentle as we deal with them and as we deal with their souls, with their lives, and the most dear parts of who they are, the innermost parts of who they are. It is the idea of being long-suffering. In other words, that we go the distance in life, and we go that distance when it involves difficulty. It's also the idea of a focused calmness, a focused calmness. In other words, life has focus to it, and we are calm as we focus. So instead of going through life freaking out all the time about stuff, I'll rather focus as I go through life, and there's a basic calmness in me as I focus on the things that I need to focus on in life. The word had an interesting usage in that day. It spoke of an animal that was under control, an animal that was under control. And it's like we are under the control of the Holy Spirit. And as we are under the control of the Holy Spirit, then what God produces in us is that focused calmness in our lives. Now, we have a role to play in the Spirit of God filling us. In other words, we don't just sit back and say, Spirit of God, fill me. When I choose, when I make the decision to be patient, I am opening my life up to allow God to produce that focused calmness and that filling of the Holy Spirit in my life. Now, when we talk a lot of times about being impatient, think about the things that come to mind because impatience is the opposite of the meekness that Jesus speaks of here. Blessed are the meek. Opposite of that would be impatient. What does it mean to be impatient? Well, when you and I are impatient, we tend to rush our way through life. Have you ever had a day or a season in life when you feel like all you do is rush from one thing to another? All day long is about rushing. Uh, I'm going to confess to you, I am not a huge fan of the Christmas season. It's not that I dislike Christmas, but I feel like from Thanksgiving to January the 1st, it is rush, rush, rush. Uh, you know, you got to 
rush all over the place to get stuff. And I don't know anything that get me out of the Christmas mood more than to go to the mall and try to rush to find a parking place and then go through the crowds and try to find gifts and all that kind of stuff. It's just that rushing. And when you rush through life or you rush through a season of life or rush through the day, that creates within us an impatience. And what does rushing lead to? It leads, first of all, to anger. Have you ever noticed on days when we are rushing, we get ticked, our fuse gets really short, we can't get to one thing fast enough, we can't complete stuff quick enough, and everything is going wrong that just keeps lengthening the day out, and so our anger begins to build, we get frustrated really easy, we get fatigued uh, as we're going through the day, and we also begin to miss stuff. We begin to miss stuff. We begin to miss the most important things we have in life. I may have shared this story with you. When my son was uh, a little guy, I mean, he was in preschool at the time, probably about three years of age, I came home for lunch one day, and it was one of those rush days. And so when I got to the house, it was like going to rush through lunch and then get back to the office. So I, I got home, and I ate really fast, and uh, then jumped, went out the uh, door to get back in the car to get back to the church, and I got in to the car, and as I was getting ready to turn uh, the ignition, my three-year-old son comes running out the door. And I thought, what is Jonathan doing coming out the door? So I got out of the car, and he looked up at me and held his arms out, and he said a hug and a kiss. And suddenly it hit me that we had this tradition that whenever Daddy came home, particularly at lunchtime, that before I left the house, I would give him a hug and a kiss. And I had forgotten to do that because I was so into my rushing. And I remember standing there in the driveway just super convicted that I had forgotten the most important part of lunch, and that was giving my three-year-old son a hug and a kiss. And you know something? I cannot remember what I was rushing back to the church to do, but whatever it was that day, it didn't even begin to be as important as giving Jonathan that hug and a kiss. And when you and I rush through life, we tend to miss out on the most important aspects of the day, the most important aspects of life, of what really matters. That is the idea of impatience. We're trying to force things to happen because we want it to happen now. And have you ever noticed that what we try to force to happen and happen quickly messes all up? We end up spending twice as much time trying to undo the damage from what we tried to force to happen than if we just be patient and put it and work through it with patience. Now, when he says, blessed are the meek or blessed are the patient, think about what you think about when you think about waiting on the Lord and being patient with the Lord. Okay? What do you think about? This is usually what comes to our minds. Two things. Number one, grinning and bearing it. We're just going to grin and bear it and get our way through it. One way or the other, we will, we will make it. But it's not going to be any fun. So we're just going to hold on for dear life and grin and bear it as we wait on God. Because for some reason, God is getting some kind of weird joy out of watching us grin and bear our way through whatever it is 
that he's asking us to grin and bear it through. So that's the idea of waiting on the Lord. Or it's the idea of being some tedious boredom that we just sort of sit back and twiddle our fingers and wait for God to answer. And so when we hear about waiting for the Lord and waiting on God, we don't get too excited about that because I'm either grinning and bearing to get my way through something or if I'm sitting there waiting on the Lord, bored half to death for God to do something and to work and to minister, then it's like, man, I don't enjoy this and and I'm getting absolutely nothing out of this and I don't see where God's doing anything and I'm just going to just sit here in boredom and wait on God. God. I am convinced that one of the reasons in a, any church just about that you announce we're going to meet and have a prayer meeting, it's the least attended meeting uh, that we tend to have in church life, is because we are convinced that prayer is some tedious, boring exercise that we go through of waiting on God while God, for some unknown reason, takes forever to answer our prayer and to do anything. You remember when you were a kid at Christmas time and it looked like Christmas was never going to get here and you were just bored through the whole month of December waiting for Christmas to get here. That's the way God sometimes seems to us. We keep waiting for His blessing, waiting for His work, waiting for Him to show up, and we're getting incredibly bored waiting on God to do something. That is not the idea of what it means to wait on the Lord. Let's look at some ideas that are involved in waiting on God. When I wait on the Lord, I don't sit back and grin and bear it, and I don't sit back and in boredom and say, God, when are you going to show up and get around to answering my prayer? Waiting means engaging God. The waiting period is a time to engage the Lord. It is a time for us to experience firsthand His love, His mercy, His grace, and His presence. Waiting is foremost about us deepening our relationship with God. I want you to think about this. When Jesus called the 12 disciples, if he had chosen, he could have crammed the crucifixion and the resurrection into the first week of them following him. He didn't have to wait three and a half years. He could have said, all right, I got you guys. You're following me now. Friday of the end of the week, I'm going to be crucified, money going to rise from the dead, we're going to get the Lord's Supper in on, on Thursday night, and we're going to get this whole thing done in a week. That's not what he did. For three and a half years, they waited on him. For three and a half years, they waited on the crucifixion and the resurrection. Why did they have to wait for three and a half years? Why did Jesus string them out? For three and a half years. Because what Jesus was doing for three and a half years was he was building and growing and deepening their relationship with him. They watched him. They listened to him as he taught. And he was all the way through that, deepening their walk with him. He could have crammed it all into a week or two or a month. But he chose for three and a half years to grow their relationship with Him. And when it seems like you are waiting on God and nothing is happening while you're waiting on God, what He's doing is He's saying, engage me, engage my love, engage my wisdom, engage who I am, because this is not about boredom. This is not about just holding on until I happen to show up. I am present. I am at work around you. I am at work in you. I am deepening your relationship with me. And that's part of what it means to be patient and wait on God. 
Often in the scriptures, you will see that God calls people to 40-day experiences of them being alone with Him to strengthen them, prepare them. What are the disciples, when Jesus told the disciples, go to Jerusalem and wait until you're endued with power from on high, they went and they prayed and they engaged God for 40 days before the Spirit of God was poured out. You can look at leader after leader after leader in the Scriptures, and they are called into these 40-day waiting periods of going into the wilderness and not sitting out there and twiddling their fingers and hoping for the best. They are engaging with God for a 40-day period of time. And folks, if we follow the Lord very often, for very long, God's going to call us into seasons where we have to go before Him and wait on Him. But the waiting period is not to waste your time in God's time. The waiting period is to deepen our walk with God. It is for God to prepare us for what He's got for us next, to grow our relationship with Him. As we wait in patience on the Lord, we don't demand, God, i got to see what you're doing or I'm not going to follow you because often we don't see and don't understand what He's saying to us. Waiting on Him means that I'm allowing His mercy, His love, His power to work through the situation. Follow me when I'm about to say, some of you, all of us, are going to go through situations and circumstances in life, particularly with friends and relatives that we pray for, that we do not see an immediate answer to our prayers. And that gets very frustrating. Does it mean that God's not working? No. Often this is what it means. God is saying, number one, allow me to deepen your relationship with me as you go through this period of waiting. Second, it takes time. For the grace of God and the mercy of God and the power of God and the wisdom of God to work its way into and through people's lives. We often want God to zap people. God change them and change them now. But it doesn't work that way. People are not like a fast food restaurant that we can walk up to their lives and pray a prayer over them and presto get what we want in their lives. God does not work that way. It takes time for the grace, the mercy, the love, the wisdom of God to saturate into people's lives and to work through people's lives. And so as you're praying for somebody, be praying over them. But this is sometimes what we tend to do. We get impatient. And so what do we do when we get impatient with God working in somebody's life? We decide we know more about it than what God does, so we're going to go into their life and we're going to do it for God. Have you ever done that? We're going to fix them for God. And what do we end up doing? Screwing it all up, right? I mean, we just mess it all up when we think we're going to do God's work for Him in somebody else's life. And the Lord's saying, be patient. And patience means that I'm at work, but you've got to let my work saturate into their life and through their life. And listen, when we wait on God's timing, we are submitting to His Lordship. When we wait on God's timing, we are submitting to His Lordship. And God gives us what I like to call soul rest. He gives us soul rest. He makes us at rest deep down on the inside. Now let me tell you what patience also will do for us. It will cause us to stop living life as a constant reaction. When I am impatient, I am constantly reacting to situations, reacting to people. I don't like this. I want this change. So I'm just constantly reacting. 
And patience means that I stop reacting and I start living my life acting. Acting out of God's leadership. Acting out of obedience to His Word. Acting out of waiting on the Lord. Living my life acting in the will of God is entirely different than living my life reacting constantly to what's happening. Now, I want us to look at two passages of Scripture. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31. But they who wait for the Lord, that's our job. Now, notice the promises that he makes. But they who wait for the Lord, promise number one, shall renew their strength. Promise number two, they shall mount up with wings like eagles. Promise number three, they shall run and not be weary. And promise number four, they shall walk and not faint. If we do our job to wait for the Lord, His promise to us is, I'm going to renew your strength, you're going to mount up with wings like eagles, you're going to run and not be weary, and you're going to walk and not faint. Now, book of James, chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you fall or when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect. Key sentence there. Let steadfastness, let patience have its full effect. Now, what is that effect? That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Key word in that second part of that is the word complete. What God is doing in us when He works and develops patience in us, that steadfastness, is what He's developing in us is completeness. God wants us to be complete. He wants us to be whole. And the way that He does that is He produces patience in us. I wish He did it some other way, but the way that He does it is by producing patience in us. And how does He produce the patience? He puts us through all kinds of trials. Now again, I wish it happened some other way, but He's saying He's going to put us through all kinds of trials so that He can produce patience in us, so that the patience can make us whole and complete. And that's the idea of total healed, being totally healed on the inside, being totally fulfilled on the inside. Let me give you one clue. When God begins to heal you up and strengthen you and do all that he's saying right there on the front end of it, it's going to feel like the exact opposite of, of that. In other words, as you make the journey to completeness, it's going to feel like a journey to incompleteness on the front end of it. But let roll with the Lord and let him do it as he lays it out. Now, how do you and I practice patience? Number one, and I got these listed in your bulletin, learn to listen well and listen long to God. Learn to listen well and listen long to the Lord. Second, recognize and appreciate God's timing even if you don't understand it. Recognize and listen to God's timing even if you don't understand it. Timing is often as important as what God's doing. The timing of it is as important as what God's doing. 
So recognize the timing and appreciate the timing. When you and I force something and try to get the timing on our schedule, that's when it all messes up. Recognize and appreciate God's timing. Third, live life at God's pace. Learn to live life at God's pace. Next, fully experience God's work, and it takes time to do that. Fully experience God's work. Take in all of it, and it takes time. It's like a walk in the park. You got to smell it, you got to see it, you got to hear it, you got to enjoy it, but it takes time to drink it all in. So, fully experience God's work at all times. Live next out of His peace. Learn to live out of that peace and that wholeness that He's got for you. Next, make sure that your self esteem is grounded in what the Lord says and not others. Make sure your self-esteem is grounded in what the Lord says and not others. Let me tell you one of the reasons we rush through life. Because we're trying to impress ourselves and everybody else. We want people to look at us. Oh, they're so busy. They got so much they're doing. We want people to know how busy we are. Why? Because if I'm busy, that means I'm important. If I'm busy, that means I'm doing important stuff. I'm grounding my self-esteem in my busyness instead of in Christ. And see, if my life is grounded in Christ, then I don't have to run through life convincing myself and everybody else of how important I am because I know of my importance just simply being in Christ. And finally, if you and I will be patient, it will help our physical and emotional selves. You'll be surprised at what it will do to you emotionally. You'll be surprised at what it will do to you physically in releasing and relieving stress. Now, you all have been very patient throughout this entire message because you've been sitting out there looking at this chocolate cake. And you have been wondering, where in the world is he going to do with this chocolate cake? And some of you may be even close enough to smell the chocolate cake and wondering, what in the world is that about? Man, does it smell good. And you've even tried to discipline yourself to focus on the Scripture and the message and not on the chocolate cake. And yes, I do want to tempt those of you that like chocolate. Now, I'm allergic to chocolate, so I just have to look at it and smell it. I can't eat it. But this is a Hershey's triple chocolate cake. It is not just a chocolate cake. It is a Hershey's triple chocolate cake. Now, let me bring this chocolate cake up to tell you exactly where we're headed with this. So the next time you see a chocolate cake, hopefully you'll remember what it means to be patient. First of all, this chocolate cake did not start looking like this and smelling like this and tasting the way it can. It began with a cook, and that cook had a recipe for triple chocolate cake. And folks had to trust that cook with their recipe. Patience means we have to trust God with the recipe of life. Second, when that cook began to put the cake together, they had to make sure that the cake was baked in their oven. The cook put the cake in their oven to bake. Not somebody else's, 
They're of it. And we do our best baking in life when God puts us together and bakes us in His oven. Now, follow what I'm about to say right now. They put the cake together, made it into the batter, and put it into the oven. You put a cake in the oven, and that cake begins to cook and to bake. If you pull the cake out too soon, what do you get? A mess. A gooey mess. When I was growing up as a boy, my mother did a lot of baking. And she used to do this thing as a kid I could not understand. It was the weirdest thing to me in the world. She would look in at the cake as it was baking, and it would get nice and, you know, just looking like outside golden brown or whatever it was she was baking. But it looked like it was all finished. And then the buzzer would go off, and she would ease the cake out of the oven. And then she would take a toothpick, and she would put a toothpick down in the cake. And I thought, what is my mother doing putting a toothpick into a cake? And sometimes I would notice she would stick the cake back in the oven, and sometimes she'd pull it out and then let it cool. And I couldn't figure out why she was doing that. So one day I said, Mother, why in the world are you putting a toothpick in your cake? And she said, I'll tell you why I'm doing that. She says, sometimes it looks like it is baked, but it's not. So I put the toothpick down in there, and if I pull the toothpick out and it's got cake batter around it, I know it's not finished yet, so I stick it back in the oven so it can bake until it is completed. Because if I pull it out too soon and don't test it, it is not completed. Folks, what God does with us is He keeps us in the oven as long as He knows we need to be in the oven. But sometimes we tell God, I look like I'm baked on the outside, and I feel like I'm baked on the outside, and I feel like I look good, so it's time for me to come out of the oven, and we end up as a gooey mess. Now let me tell you what happens in church life sometimes. We see people, and man, we know how to play the game. We can talk to faith, and we can put on a presentation and the whole bit, so we pull people out of the oven too soon. They haven't baked all the way through. And we say they look good. Let's make them a deacon. Let's make them a Sunday school teacher. Let's put them here. Let's put them there. Let's put them in leadership. But if you ain't baked all the way through, when you get in leadership, you're a gooey mess sooner or later because you weren't ready on the inside for leadership. One of our jobs in church life is to put the brick inside to test. That's why Paul said, don't lay hands suddenly on any man. Put the toothpick into their life. you got to make sure that they are baked all the way through. One of the things I deal with as a pastor, people say, I want to get married. But if you're not ready to get married, if you're not baked all the way through, your marriage is going to end up being a gooey mess because you were not ready for the marriage. Let the Lord bake you. Now, follow me on what I'm about to say. When my mother would bake certain cakes, they'd have to stay in for an hour. She'd bake other cakes, they'd stay in for longer. Some cakes stayed in a short time. The recipes never called for the same temperature at the same amount of time consistent. All her recipes had a different amount of time the cake was supposed to be in the oven. When God goes to work inside of you, some things take longer than others. Some things have to bake at different temperatures in your life. 
than others. Let God bake you as long as he knows it has to happen. Let him adjust the temperatures. Now, I don't bake cakes well at all. And I get impatient when cakes are baked. So let's just say I put the cake in the oven and it says it's got to bake for an hour and a half. And I want it to be done in 30 minutes. So it's supposed to bake at 400. I decide I'm going to turn that baby up to 600. I'm going to get this thing done in a hurry. I ain't waiting for no 400. I'm going to put it at 600. What's going to happen to my cake? I'm going to burn the daylights out of it, right? Let's say that I decide that I don't even want to bother with baking. Because i got a microwave oven. So I'm going to take my cake and I'm going to stick it in the microwave. And I'm going to hit the microwave. And we're going to zap that thing in seconds or minutes instead of an hour or two. What's going to happen? I'm going to have a mess. And folks, that is a picture of what you and I try to do when we try to rush God. We try to nuke it. It explodes on us. It's a mess. When we tell God, I'm going to turn up the temperature and I'm going to bake this thing just like that, we burn up stuff. God's saying, you've got to go with my recipe, you've got to go with my time schedule, and you've got to let me bake it. Now, when you do it the right way, according to the recipe, man, when you get through, the end product is worth it. And when God is at work in us, baking his work in us and through us, We always bake in hope. Waiting on God is waiting in hope. And when God gets finished, it is all worth it. When God gets finished, it is all worth it. Now notice what he says, including you shall inherit the earth. What in the world is he talking about there? I think there's three ideas. Number one, we create the environment around us by patience. We create the environment around us with patience. Number two, patience enables us to fully enjoy the landscape, the scope of what God is doing. And finally, heaven is coming someday, and we will inherit it. If you look up on the screen now, I want you to think about what we've talked about this morning.
Lord, help us to wait on you in your time. Because you will make all things beautiful in your time. With our heads bowed and our our eyes closed, if you're here today or listening via Facebook, radio, we want to invite you on this day in God's time to say, Jesus, I want to follow you, I want to listen to you, I want to walk with you, and I want to take life, Lord, in your time instead of my time. And so this day, Jesus, I will begin to follow you and to serve you. Just pray that prayer out to him. And I want to encourage us now as we sing in just a moment to make this a time when we say to the Lord, Lord, teach me to follow you on your schedule at your pace with your patience. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen. Stand together and sing and make that commitment to the Lord if you would as we sing.